It is great to have uh, Sister Mays. Uh, actually, there's a couple Sister Mays. Uh, one of them stepped out, but it is good to have Sister Mays and Sister Mays. And it's good to have Brother, what was that? Oh, sounded like a body hit the floor. Thank God it wasn't. It's good to have Brother Terry Mays in service with us, tremendous preacher of the gospel. Now, you know, I always feel like I have something, something to share to this congregation, but I have made up my mind that when there's certain, when there's certain men in proximity of Cornerstone, when they're in this area, we want them to preach. And uh, Brother Brother Terry Mays is one of those people. He has blessed us several times in this several times. How many of you remember the last time he preached here? And I, it reminded me of the incomparable Christ where he went down the entire alphabet and talked about the great attributes of Jesus. How many of you remember that? I don't know what he's going to preach tonight, but I know it's going to be good. Let's put our hands together unto the Lord for the man of God. Let's welcome Brother Mays to this pulpit tonight. Somebody say praise the Lord. Ain't it good to be in church tonight? I don't know any place I'd rather be than in the house of God. I said I don't know any place I'd rather be except in the house of God. Oh, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. We've been a lot of places since we've been here. You can be seated for a moment. Uh, we've been a lot of places, and uh, my God's been doing some great things, filling folks with the Holy Ghost. I'm glad the Holy Ghost is not over with yet. I said I'm glad God's not through filling folks with the Holy Ghost. Ah, uh, yeah. Somebody could get it tonight. Amen. Amen. Praise God. But, you know, uh, when I uh, talked to, amen, your pastor, I was really looking forward to hearing him tonight. And uh, he said, man, don't you have a Tuesday night that you could? I said, I got one. And uh, so, and that's tonight. He said, well, come on. So, I, I, I want to tell you that I have struggled all day with this. I have prayed all day and asked God to deliver me from this. But he said, you deliver this. And uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not out to get anybody. I'm not out to uh, come down on anybody. But I'm, I'm here to obey God. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. So if you would turn me to Leviticus chapter 26 and then 1 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. Amen. Leviticus chapter 26. Amen. One verse of scripture. It is so good to be back. Amen. Amen. I appreciate. Amen. Brother Mayo. And uh, somebody told me, man, your names are just one letter apart. I said, that's right. We're just one we're just, we're close, so, <laughs> amen, praise God, amen, verse number two, ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, 
I am the Lord. Amen. Then 1 Timothy chapter 3, amen. Praise God. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And, you know, I guess I just as well go ahead and read verse 16 because uh, it's the last verse in this uh, chapter. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Why don't you read it with me? And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Uh, somebody clap your hands unto God. Amen. Praise God. I want you to take a look at the second verse of Leviticus chapter 26 and verse number 15 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 one more time. For the second verse of Leviticus chapter 26 declares, Ye shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Now, both of these scriptures deal with correct behavior. For in the giving of the law in Leviticus, God said that ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Because he said he was the Lord. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave in the house of God. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, informs him that we should know how we ought to behave in the house of God. In other words, we ought to know how to conduct ourselves in God's house. We ought to know how to function in the house of God. Or at least we ought to know how to act right and proper in church. Can I hear an amen? So with this thought running through my mind, amen, my, 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 mm, I want to preach from the subject, how to behave in church. How to behave in church. Uh, let's lift up our hands, amen. Put our Bibles down, let's lift up our hands. Uh, let's give God some glory right now. God, we love you, we praise you, uh, we magnify your name, we exalt you, God. Uh, oh, most high God, we give you the praise tonight. Uh, I'm asking you to anoint me. Uh, I'm asking you, God, for the words. Uh, God, will you give me the words, God, that you desire me to speak? Uh, God, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus. Uh, I believe you for it, I'm thanking you for it. It. I'm counting on you, God. I'm depending on you. You're my rock. Amen. You're my rock. I lean on you, God. I lean on you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, bless the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. 
Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I recently read a list of Time magazine that had several categories of the 100 most influential people in the year 2022. It's a list that they compile every year. They had that list divided into six categories, those of icons, pioneers, titans, artists, leaders, and innovators. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I don't understand how or why they divide this list into these categories. I believe that for the most part that you would agree with me that most of us just don't understand just why that particular person was on that respective list. Some of the names that you might recognize under the icons category is someone simply known as Adele, who I had never heard of, but is probably the biggest pop star in the world at this present time. And Maya Lynn, who is American architect and sculptor, who is best known for her design of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Under the pioneers category, you find names like Gregory L. Robinson, who serves as the program director of the James Webb Space Telescope, which is reported to be 100 times more powerful than its precursor, the Hubble Space Telescope. Then there's Francis Hagen, who was a, who was a data engineer for Facebook, uh, who became a whistleblower due to what she has since described as a pattern of Facebook prioritizing profit over public safety. Imagine that. In the Titans category, you will find names like Tim Cook, uh, who is the CEO of Apple and Oprah Winfrey, just because she's Oprah. And in the artist category, uh, you'll find Nathan Chen, who is an American figure skater who currently holds the world record for the highest combined score in men's skating. And Faith Ringgold, who is an American painter, writer, mixed media sculpture, and performance artist who's best known for her narrative quilts. Then in the leaders department, you find names like you would expect to find, like Governor Ron DeSantis and Kevin McCarthy, the current Speaker of the House, although it took five days and a 15-ballot floor fight for him to get the Speaker of the House. And then finally, under the innovators category, names like Miranda Lambert, uh, the country music innovator, and Josh Wardle, who is a software engineer and created the short word game called Wardle. Now, some of these names on the various lists that I recognize, but there were many more I had no idea who they were. And in fact, I had to look up most of the names to see who and just what they were. However, I didn't see anyone on that list that I recognize as being a true one God apostolic. Further, I didn't see any name on that list that was even remotely close to what I would call influential in my life and my walk with God. I didn't see the name of Sister Evelyn Stevens, who, by the way, was a very large woman, and due to her having extremely long hair that hung down clear below her knees, she wore her hair up in what the girls called donkey curls. I don't know why they called them that, except they were probably two to three inches in diameter, and they looked like small hay bales. At least that's the way my sister Brenda recalls it. When she got to feeling the Holy Ghost, her head would start moving, then her whole body would start shaking, and she would start shouting until the bobby pins in her hair started shooting out in all different directions. And all the children that happened to be in close proximity would start ducking and looking for cover. 
However, I never did see her name on that list. I didn't see the name of Sister Verda Chenault who faithfully would drive from Pleasant Valley, Missouri, down to Overland Park, Kansas, uh, somewhere around 40 to 45 miles, to uh, pick up my mother and six of us kids for church, uh, take us to church at 8th and Olive in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, and then take us back home uh, when Dad was working out of town. Uh, looking back, that made a big, big impression on me. Uh, and you don't forget things like that. But she was not on that list. A few years and miles down the road with Elder Ronald Calvert as my pastor, uh, my sister once again told me the sister about Sister Nora Huckabee, who in the ladies' prayer room and pre-service prayer would always start her prayer by thanking God that she could see, that she could hear, that she could walk, and that she could talk. And later in her life, amen, uh, several of these things were taken from her. Uh, yet I'd never heard that she complained about being handicapped. Uh, and a lot of times in service, she would start, and she'd go, oh, yeah, and make the, and, 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 and she would lift her voice and get anointed, and she'd testify like nobody's business. She'd testify about how good God had been to her, how he brought her up out of the muck and the miry clay, set her feet upon a rock, and established her goings. But strangely, I didn't see her name on that list. Then there was my mother, Sister Frances Mays. I was privileged to be my mom and daddy's pastor about the last 10 years of their life. And one of the students in her teen class recently told me that he received a revelation of the oneness of God when my mother was teaching. While he's not in the church today, he told me he had never forgot it to this day. Another former student told me that when the class would come into the classroom for Sunday school, my mother would be standing there at the head of the table with her Bible open. They knew that she had a lesson to teach. But then there were those times when they would come in and she'd be standing there with her hanky in her hand on top of her closed Bible. She would look at the class with tears in her eyes. Say, class, we need to pray. He told me that they had some of the best prayer meetings in Sunday school because there were times it turned into worship service. And they would still be downstairs praying and praising God and shouting the victory when church was dismissed. But, you know, I never did see my mama's name on that list of the world's most influential people. There was Brother Sam Wheeler who had great faith that God could and would heal. You know, it's one thing to know that God can heal. But it's entirely another thing to know he will heal. Maybe I ought to repeat that. It's one thing to know that God can heal. But it's entirely another thing to know that he will heal. He accidentally shot off one of his toes while in Nebraska pheasant hunting. The man he was with asked Brother Sam if he wanted to find a hospital and a doctor. And Brother Sam said, no, I'm not going to be able to, hey, I'm not going to no doctor. Just take me home because I'm not going to be able to hunt anymore today. The man had to drive to Kansas City on snow and ice almost all the way home. While Brother Sam said he prayed all the way home. When he went into the house, he told his wife, he said, I think I shot my toe off. He said it that way because he knew he couldn't get his boot off because he knew that if he took his boot off, he'd never get it back on. 
His wife, Sister Laureen, finally took the boot off, and his toe was gone up past the nail. Uh, she cleaned it up as best she could and put Vaseline on it uh, and wrapped it up. He got prayer and just simply believed that God was a healer. Uh, he never took any pain medication, uh, and although his daughter doesn't remember how long uh, it took, but one evening uh, they heard him holler, amen, for his wife to come take a look. Uh, that toe grew back completely with the nail, uh, and you couldn't tell it had ever been shot off. Oh, I'm talking about my God. Mm. There, there, there was another time when a propane stove blew up in his face and burnt his face until it was black and unrecognizable. Again, he never put anything on his face and took no pain medication. He just got prayer. God healed him, and you couldn't tell, amen, his face had ever been burnt. And while we're here, Sister Laureen, his wife, was also, she was also a precious saint of God. She broke her leg between the knee and the ankle so bad it was literally flopping. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed again. And within one hour, she was walking on it. I'm telling you, God's still God. God's still God. I was blessed to be their pastor in the later years of their life, and as credible as these miracles are, and as many great things that Brother Sam Wheeler did, as much as he loved this apostolic truth, uh, as much as he loved to worship God in spirit and in truth, I never did see Sam Wheeler on any type of list of the world's most influential people. There was Brother L.D. Hilton, who was very special to me because he was the first one who took me and my sister Debbie to a camp meeting, and years later, he was also one of the first men to open his pulpit, not only this very young, but also very inexperienced uh, preacher. His son, who is now my brother-in-law, Brother Dave Hilton, tells the following story, and I quote. I'm going to read it because I don't want to leave anything out. Brother L.D. Hilton took a small church in Olathe, Kansas. There were five women and some children. They were renting a small deaf community room about four blocks off the main road called Santa Fe Road. He was pastoring there for a little over a year with hardly any visitors, and they hadn't prayed anyone through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He was getting very discouraged and prayed that the Lord would send more families to the church. Then one night, there was a stranger with a garment bag of clothes that walked into the church house while they were singing, worshiping the Lord. The stranger sat on the very back row of the room, and Pastor L.D. Hilton went back and introduced himself to the stranger and thanked him for coming. Pastor L.D. Hilton was so excited that finally he had someone that he could preach the good news of salvation to. So he began to preaching one God, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and reaching for that young man. And in response to the word of God, the stranger simply bowed his head where he was seated. At the end of service, Pastor L.D. Hilton asked the stranger where he was from and where he was going. Amen. He, then he asked him how he had found the church. And the stranger told him he was just passing by the church headed to Colorado and decided to stop in and check out the church service. Now, the interesting part is this, that you had to go out of your way just to get to the building that they were in, for there was no just passing by. You had to intentionally go out of your way to get to it. After service, Pastor Hilton asked the stranger if he was hungry, and the stranger said yes, he hadn't eaten for a while. After eating, Pastor Hilton then asked him if he had a place to stay. The man told him no. 
So Pastor Hilton went and got him a hotel room and told the man that he would pick him up in the morning and take him and get him some breakfast. Then Pastor Hilton would drive the stranger as far as he could, westbound on Interstate 70 to get him further along on his journey to Colorado. The next morning, Pastor Hilton stopped by the hotel to pick the guy up, but no one answered the door. He tried knocking several times, and then he got worried that maybe the stranger was sick or something was wrong. So Pastor Hilton went to the front desk and asked if they could check up on this stranger to see if he was okay. They went and checked and knocked um, several times, and no one answered. Uh, they finally entered the room, and to their surprise, the bed had not been slept in, and the room was as if no one had been there. Nothing was disturbed. Uh, and from the time of the visit uh, from that stranger, there was not one service that went by that there was not at least one visitor. You can think what you want, but Pastor Hilton told me he believed that the stranger was an angel sent from God to see how a visitor would be treated. The church went from five women and some children to over 120 saints of God by the time my father went to be with the Lord about eight years later. That's the end of the quote. There are so many more stories I could tell about Brother Hilton, uh, who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yet, strangely, I never did see his name on any type of a list of the world's most influential people. Time fails me to tell of others like Brother Henry Wheeler, Brother Charles Brazier, Big Jim, Big Jim Van Derendonk, who unless you could have been there and heard uh, these men pouring out their hearts and souls to God in pre-service prayer in the men's prayer room, you'll never know, but I know because I experienced it firsthand. There are many times I had to stop praying just so I could listen to the prayers of these men. There were times when the prayer was so powerful that it would spill out from the prayer room uh, where these men had prayed the power of God down in a mighty, mighty way. Uh, and they came up out of that prayer room shouting uh, and praising God and service never really started uh, because it had already started in the prayer room uh, and it spread throughout the whole house of God. Oh, I love him. And I just wanted to call out the names of those precious saints of God that have went on to their reward and remind some of us that have been raised in the apostolic church. We ought not to forsake the old landmark. We ought to ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein and not forget where we've come from. Can I hear an Amen. I need somebody who, like me, was raised in the church like I was raised uh, to go back and remember how strict and straight it was for us. For instance, I remember when Sister Manuel was chewing gum, Pastor Earl Calvert stopped right in the middle of his message and said, Sister Manuel, are you chewing gum? She replied, I got it in my mouth, but I'm not chewing it. I promise you, as soon as she put it in her mouth, she got rid of it because after, she got, after he got through with her, she knew that chewing gum in church just wasn't allowed. But nowadays, it seems like people come to the house of God with bubble gum, candy, and even things to eat. Please note, I'm not talking about cough drops or throat lounges or even something to snack on if you're truly a diabetic. While, oh, God, help me. While I'm here, let me add, you don't need to be texting or looking at your phone while in church. 
if it's important enough that you have to take a phone call during service, I, I think you should at least put it on vibrate so it won't disturb the entire assembly and then get up quickly and quietly as you can and take it outside. Or better yet, just hit that button that'll leave whoever's calling the message and say, sorry, I can't talk right now. My God, my God. You know, somehow it seems to me that the church has taken somewhat of a peculiar shift, somewhat of a strange turn. The church used to be a hospital for those dejected and defeated, crippled and broken souls, but now has become nothing more than some sort of a museum for what I'm going to call icicle saints. Amen. It used to be an infirmary for those wounded spirits, but now it seems to become nothing more than a theater for performing arts because a whole lot of stuff that passes for church is nothing but smoke and mirrors, sounding brass, tinkling cymbals, and church just don't sound like church used to sound. I wonder if anybody's going to help me preach. Those elderly saints of God came to church ready to have church and worship God in spirit and in truth. They didn't come just to play church because they knew God had to bring them out. They knew that God had to carry them through. They might not have been anything at all during the week when they made their way to their jobs or anywhere else they went. They might have been made fun of, ridiculed, mocked, even cursed. But just let them get to the house of God, get into the presence of God, feel the presence of God and suddenly a strange sense of honor and glory overcame them oh, because they knew they were just what First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 said about them but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. When they remembered where God had brought them from what he had done for them. And they remembered they once were nothing. They were not even a people, but now they were the people of God. And they remembered they were once on their way to hell, and they have not obtained mercy, but now they were blood-bought. They were mercy-sought, and now they had obtained mercy. So they didn't need any worship leader or their pastor to tell them to get out in the aisles and run, to shout and to dance Amen and worship God. They just did it automatically. I, I, I don't know. I cannot help but sometimes wonder if it's just me uh, or if anyone else besides myself feels it. Huh? But church just doesn't seem like church used to sound. Our apostolic Pentecostal music should sound different than the world's music. 
One of the problems in Ezekiel's day is that the, prophet, the, the prophets, the priests, and the people did not put a difference between that which was holy and that which was profane. For this scripture plainly tells us in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 26, her priests have violated my law, have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed, amen, difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid amen their eyes from my Sabbath and I am profaned among them. Our apostolic Pentecostal music needs to be noticeably and remarkably different. It should not be self-promoting. It should not be sensual. And neither should it rely on worldly styles in an attempt at widespread appeal. It seems that some of the music in some of our churches has the same ungodly and carnal beat as hip-hop or modern pop music with just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in every now and again. And the reason you got to sing it for 30 minutes because it doesn't have the right theology. In fact, you could say it doesn't even have any theology. Apostolic music has to say something. It has to mean something. It should teach us something about our faith and who and what God is. It needs to be theologically grounded and scripturally accurate and used to honor and praise the King of kings and Lord of lords. The power of our apostolic music is not in the music itself, but it's found in the truth of its message and the level of sincerity and how it's delivered. And this is what changes lives. Sadly, far too many of our young folks are trying to tell us, amen, that most of our old apostolic music and apostolic preaching are just too old, antiquated, and outdated. But I'm going to stand in this pulpit and declare uh, that this apostolic music uh, and apostolic preaching uh, has brought us to where we are right now. And there is a sound that the church uh, still ought to have because God has been so good to us. We are where we are and we have what we have because it was nobody but Jesus. I said nobody but Jesus who delivered us and set us free from the bondage and the chains of sin. What's wrong with songs like the mighty God is Jesus the prince of peace is he the everlasting father the king eternally the wonderful in wisdom by whom all things were made the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus is displayed ah yes it's all in him What's wrong within sin? I wandered sore and sad with bleeding heart and aching head till Jesus came and sweetly said, I'll take thy sins away. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood that washes white as snow. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. There's some about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but I've got it. You can have it. You can have it. Amen. You can have it. There's something about the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't explain it, but you need it. 
unless we forget, amen, let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Heavenly Father. The beginning and the end. What's more than this, my friend? He's the Son of Man. He's coming back again. I know, I know I'm showing my age now. I had some old school apostolics that remember some of those good old apostolic songs, some of them good old apostolic messages. Amen. And help me preach right now. In our first passage of text that we read, it tells us, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. Then 1 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verse 15 says, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The apostle Paul, after giving the qualifications of a bishop and a deacon in the first portion of this letter of 1 Timothy, continues to write 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, whose writings of these three books belong to the pastoral epistles. And he's writing to them as a father in the ministry, as a pastor, as an overseer to give them instructions on how they ought to behave in the church. Gnostic Judaizers uh, have crept into the church, uh, amen, to dilute and weaken uh, what the Apostle Paul uh, has established as truth. Uh, and Timothy is now pastor of the church at Ephesus. Uh, so the Apostle Paul picks up the parchment pen and quill to write to Timothy to give him some instruction on how we ought to act in church, uh, how we ought to conduct ourselves, uh, how we ought to behave uh, in the house of God. Uh, it's right here in verses 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. The apostle Paul instructs Timothy, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. The apostle Paul is not only informing Timothy and those who are in the church at Ephesus that they need a holy reverence of God but those of us who are alive in 2023 that we need to have a holy reverence and a holy awe when we come to the house of God. 
Now let me get something straight right now. God is not just a man upstairs. I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight, amen, if God was nothing but just the man upstairs. God is not just a supreme being or just a higher power. My Bible tells me in the gospel of John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, amen. And Jesus tells us in Luke 24, 39, in part, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, so God cannot be just a supreme being or a higher power. Amen. God in the language of the Latin is mysterium tremendum. That means the mystery of God or his existence. It can also mean the overwhelming awe felt by a person contemplating such a mystery. And every time I stop and consider God and what he's done for me, I feel an overwhelming sense of awe. Why? Because God has been so very, very, very good me. Oh, please understand me when I say I don't know why he loved me. I don't know why he cared for someone like me because God is completely and totally sovereign over the entire universe. His thoughts, amen, are not my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. His ways are much higher, amen, than my ways. Amen. Oh, God. And his thoughts are much higher than my thoughts. Uh, I'm telling somebody he's the source and the center. He is the center and the circumference. He is the great I am. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is the subject and the verb that describes just who and what the subject is. Amen. He is the ultimate authority. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first. He is the last. And he as Ephesians 4 and 5, 6 states, one God and Father of all who's above all, through all, and in you all. Because he's all of that and so much more, we ought to have a holy reverence for God so that when we come into his house, we don't play church. Again, those of you that were raised in the church will probably remember when we'd come home from church, we'd shout and act out like we've seen some of the old saints shout. Anybody been there? We were just playing church. We were acting like what we saw. We were just mimicking and mocking what we saw those old saints do. Please understand me when I say we didn't have a real reverence for God. We had no experience of our own. We hadn't been through anything. We were just mimicking and mocking what we saw other people do. But I am right now in the middle of my 60s. I've been living for God consistently for a long time now. I've been through enough in my life already. Some things you might know something about and some things you probably don't know anything at all about what God has brought me through. So I don't have to play church anymore. Understand me when I say I don't have to shout like those old saints of God. 
God used to shout. I don't have to act like, amen, I've seen them act in church. I've got my own story. I know what God has done for me. I know what he delivered me from. So now I've got my own testimony. You hear me? I've got my own testimony. I've got my own witness of what God has done in my life. And I respect and I reverence God so much. Every time I hear the name of Jesus, it humbles me because I've got a fear of God. Proverbs 1 and 7 says that the fear of the Lord is beginning with wisdom. Excuse me, that's Proverbs 1 and 7 says the fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then a little bit further on in, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. A reverence for God is a fear of the Lord. It will help you differentiate between the sacred and the profane, between the holy and the common. A reverence for God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And what I want you to notice here in this reading is that Isaiah says in verse 4 that even the post on the door, amen, moved at the voice of him that cried. Isaiah said that God's presence was so strong, his presence was so real, that even those inanimate wooden or stone objects like doorposts, whatever they were made out of, shouted in the presence of the living God. And if a piece of wood or stone can shout in the presence of God and have a reverence for God, I just want to know something. Amen. Who was it that woke you up this morning? Who put food on your table, who put shoes on your feet, amen, who put clothes on your back, who provided for you when you were destitute, who opened doors for you that were closed in your face, who was it that gave you that good job when nobody else would hire you, and yet you can come to the house of God and sit as if you were made out of stone. Oh, God, help me. If I get out of line, Elder, just pull my coattail. Well, pull my whatever. You can come to church. Nothing moves you. Nothing stirs you. You won't even lift your hands. You won't even lift your voice. And yet you claim to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm telling you what you need. You need a reverence for God. I said you need a reverence for God. A reverence for God is the fear of the Lord. And a reverence for God is how you ought to act in church. But we also need to have a respect for the people of God. Now hang on to your seats. We ought not to be so sanctimonious, looking down our long self-righteous nose at a brother or sister, thinking that we're better than they are. 
or more, or we're more holy and righteous than they are because they don't dress quite as nice as we do. Oh, God help me. And they don't look as nice as we do or they don't even seem to be on our same socioeconomic level. Amen. Our natural human tendency is to compare ourselves with others. If we are doing better, if we think we're doing better than someone else, then we feel good about ourselves in a smug and conceited way. But in reality, our standard is supposed to be Jesus Christ. And when we compare ourselves with him, we see how much we need his help. For Romans chapter 3 verse 23 still says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's something else I want to get over to you. When you come into this church, you're not in control. Because this is God's house. And please give me a minute before you shut me off. Think I'm going to say that you got to submit yourself to a pastor. Well, forgive me, but I'm going to say that because Hebrews 13 and 17 is still in the Bible. And it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls and that they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So, yes, if you ever hope to be saved, you're going to have to submit yourself to your pastor. But any pastor who really cares about his people, amen, amen, will not worship the authority that God has granted him as a pastor. But he will love the people that God has placed over him. He will nurture them, watch over them. And as 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3 says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, uh, not for filthy lucre, but of us a ready mind, uh, neither as being Lord over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So remember, you're not in control here. When people come to God's house, let God do what he does best. Let God be in control and work on them, and you just love them. When someone shows up at the house of God for the first time, they need to see the love of God in you. You need to be kind to them and show them that you love them. Oh, God, help me. They don't need to hear somebody tell them they can't sit in that certain pew or just ignore them and act like they're not even there. You know, there's two kind of people that make me want to preach. Those that don't help me preach and those that do. Is anybody going to help me tonight? Because you don't know. When people have been beaten and crushed and knocked down all week long, you don't know what kind of hell they went through uh, with their family just to get here. You don't know who it is sitting on that pew next to you tonight, huh? what kind of addiction they might have been battling. Huh? Further, you don't know what kind of misery and suffering they had to go through on their job huh? or just life in general. Huh? Amen. To get here tonight just to praise the Lord. Huh? And then you have to look at them uh, like they don't smell too good or, or they're not as good as you are. I just want to ask you a question. Just who do you think you are? 
You ain't nobody. I said you ain't nothing because if God pulled his hand off you, you'd be just as bad a shape as they are, if not worse. And it wasn't too many years ago. You were in the same shape that they're in, yet we come to the house of God thinking we're so much better than our brother or sister just because we can wear some better clothes than they do or because we pay more tithing than they do or just because we hold some type of a position. You better be careful. Because in Matthew chapter 18, when the disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. He said, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then in verse number 10, Jesus tells him, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Somebody lift your hands and love God right now. I love you, Jesus. So, if we're going to behave ourselves in the house of God, not only do we need a reverence for God and a respect for God's people, but we also need a responsibility to God's Word. The Word of God is truth. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. It's not subjective truth. It's eternal truth. The Bible is the only source of divine truth. And, oh, God, help me. I'm sick of people supposed to be getting their truth from outside of the Bible. I'm talking about some apostolic people who come to church still reading their horoscope. Is anybody going to help me preach now? They say something like, oh, you don't know me. I'm an Aquarius. Or you better watch out how you talk to me because I'm a Scorpio. No, you're not. You're nothing but a nasty sinner. And the reason for your ugly ways and your nasty disposition is because you don't have a responsibility to the word, the word of God. If you're reading your horoscope, you need to repent. Ask God to forgive you. Get back to reading and studying the Word of God. You need to be sanctified with the truth. The truth. The truth. Church folks are so ugly, mean, and nasty to people because they have no responsibility to the Word of God. And you can sit there and act like this Word is not affecting you. But I have never heard an apostolic message that didn't hit me. It was either commending me for some good that I was trying to do, it was reprimanding me for some good that I was failing to do, or it was rebuking me for some wrong that I was doing and telling me I needed to quit doing it. Some of you are sitting here thinking, well, this preaching is nothing but foolishness. But let me remind you once again of what 1 Corinthians 1 and 17 states. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
And you can sit there on your pew and think this preaching is nothing but foolishness. But Proverbs chapter 24 verse 9 says, the thought of foolishness is sin and the scorner is an abomination to men. And further, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 tells us, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you can go ahead and think that the preaching is foolishness, but according to what I just read, it's sin. And you're just letting everybody know that you're not spiritual. When I come to the house of God, I'm learning to humble myself. Because while I may be in charge of how I act and how I respond, I recognize I'm not the one in control. God is in control. I said God's in control. Musicians, please come. You know how to tell when God's in control of a church? You don't need a choir director to get you all jazzed up. You don't need a worship leader telling you to put your hands together and praise the Lord. You just need to think about where God has brought you from and what all he's done for you. Ah, you just start thinking how many doors God has opened for you. And you don't need to have anybody else tell you to give God some praise. Ah, you don't need somebody to tell you to run the aisles. You don't need somebody to tell you, oh, clap your hands. All you people shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. You just do it because God's in control. I said you just do it because God's in control. I wonder, would you stand to your feet? Does anybody here remember? Amen. Amen. Remember church the way church used to be? Does anybody here remember, amen, how to shout in church? Does anybody here remember how to act in church? Does anybody know that God has been good to you? Anybody know that God has been your keeper and your guide? The Bible said in the 150th Psalm, verse 6, Let everything that hath breath, let everything that hath breath, I said let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. I said you don't know like I know how he set me free. I said... Is anybody here? Amen. You know that God has opened some doors for you. Psalm 161 said, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord, for he's good. Praise the Lord, for he's good. Praise the Lord, his mercy endureth forever. somebody to tell you to give God some praise. You don't need somebody to tell you how you ought to praise God. You just do it because God's in control. Some of us know down deep in our soul, God's been so good to me. So we're not playing church. Amen. We're being real. Amen. If anybody here knows that God's been good to you, why don't you come to this altar? Don't 
Ghost, but give God some real praise. If you've not experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost, amen, you can have it tonight. Get up here and receive it in Jesus' name.